Welcome back to the Friday Five here on the Agent Survival Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Rupel, and this is our weekly list of five things you should know about. Today, we are taking a look back at our 2023 episodes, and I will be revealing the top five. Throughout the year, we cover so many different topics, some that are immediate breaking news, some that we update on a regular basis as numbers shift around and policy changes, and then others that are more educational and evergreen. Rather than just list out the top-performing episodes, because really, what's the fun in that? Instead, we've put together a supercut of those episodes with a little introduction for context. Let's get into our list at number five. In the last two years, we've started featuring more interviews on the show, inviting guests to come on and talk about their area of expertise. For Dan Ford, our senior sales broker here at Ritter, that expertise is in field sales. His interview was a huge hit, coming in at number five, How to Overcome Common Insurance Sales Objections, featuring Dan Ford. I am Dan Ford, and I am in consumer sales at Ritter. So I guess my title would be a senior sales broker, probably a little bit more than that, but I'm in consumer sales. Okay. That is exactly what we would like, because I don't think there's any better experience than what someone like yourself, you know, you're out there, you're making the sales and people really want to hear what that's like. You want that sense of camaraderie to know that, okay, are the issues that I'm running into the same as what other people are running into? One of the things that I've been wanting to talk about, it's not unique to sales. I think every salesperson kind of falls into having to deal with this issue, but it is unique in the terms of how we deal with it in Medicare sales. And those are objections because while we have ways as a salesperson, maybe if we're selling furniture or replacement windows, there are things that you can say when you're selling those things that right. you cannot say with Medicare. And there's a lot more to consider with a Medicare plan. What are some of the objections that you are hearing out in the field right now? So I think the biggest one that you get a lot is an objection against Medicare Advantage. When you first meet somebody, you will get a client or a potential client who says, hey, I want to look at a Medicare supplement plan G. I don't want to know anything about Medicare Advantage. I just want to supplement. You know, that's probably one of the biggest ones that I get or Medicare Advantage is horrible. I don't want to deal with it. I just want to supplement. Something to that effect is usually, you know, one of the first things I hear. And it's it's very common, very, very common. Now, one of the problems with that is, of course, if we are an agent and we're doing our due diligence we might look through, do our fact finding and come to terms with the idea that, okay, based on your health profile, the drugs you're taking, all of these things, what if the Medicare supplement really isn't the best fit for that client? That objection is actually very easily remedied. Now, I'm not the kind of agent who forces any product on somebody who doesn't want it. Anybody who knows me will tell you I am very client oriented. Whatever mm-hmm. the client wants, the client gets. That being said, 90% of the time, the client doesn't know what they want. They only know what they've heard from friends, and friends are not reliable. So what I do, the way I counter objections, is I just educate them. I said, oh, okay, I understand that, but I'm going to teach you what a Medicare Advantage product is and let you make an educated decision on that. So I will explain how a Medicare supplement works in detail, sometimes brutal detail, because When I sell, I want people to understand the product that they have and how it works. You know, I'm always here for them. They know that. But an educated decision is is the best decision to make. So I will teach them about the supplements and then I'll roll into Medicare Advantage and how Medicare Advantage works and some of the benefits and some of the drawbacks of both. That way, the client can say, well, so-and-so said that, you know, this product was this, 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 and this but you're telling me, my answer is exactly. 
I'm telling you because I'm educated. I know what these products are. I know every product in our market. I know how they work. I know what their drawbacks are. And now you can make an educated decision on what fits your lifestyle the best. So one of the big things you get with that, and the reason people come to you with the objection, I want a Medicare supplement, I don't want a Medicare Advantage plan, is because they might think that Mary's ailments are very similar to theirs, when in reality, they're not, or Mary's medications are similar to theirs, and they're not in reality. It's a very easy objection to fix because all you have to do is tell them you know, about the products and tell them exactly what each one entails. And then they can actually decide if that supplement is going to fit them best or if an Advantage plan is going to be the way they go. Right. I like how you said, as you were describing what you're explaining to them and how you frame it, that you know, I'm going to explain these plans in detail to you and let you make an educated decision. It puts the ball back in their court. It gives them a little bit of power and also of choice, which don't get me wrong, they have that, but letting them know that they have that. You're putting them a little bit at ease that, okay, I'm not going to get talked into something that I don't really want to go with because they think that's naturally what people equate with a salesperson when yeah. in reality, that is very far from the truth. Absolutely. And this really has nothing to do with objections, Sarah, but <laughs> I do something else that a lot of agents, I'm not going to say they don't do it. They may or they may not do it, but I kind of put it out there right at the beginning. Now, AEP is a different animal. When we're inside AEP, we have a lot of people to see. You know, we got a boom, 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 right? But outside of AEP, throughout the rest of the year, I do something that's a little that I think is a little different. When I go see a potential client, the first time I see them, the first thing I tell them is, hey, we don't need to make this sale today. If you see a product and it's absolutely hands down what you want, then we'll sign you up for it. But if you're not sure by the time we're finished here, we don't need to sign this application today. I don't mind coming back. That's not very popular. I will tell you with salespeople in general, I don't know how other agents handle it, but right off the bat, I set it up that, hey, there is no pressure here. I want you to make the right decision, an educated decision. So yes, it may take me another visit to get it, but I just earned their trust five times faster oh, because they were like, oh, wow, this, you know, he's not here just to make the money and roll. He's willing to come back and spend some time. So that's another way you can put your clients or your potential clients at ease with any objection to say, hey, we don't need to make this decision today. You know, we have a little bit of time, as long as they do have a little bit of time, because there are times where you get those people who are like, um, I never signed up and it's, it starts tomorrow. Yeah. So as long as as long as you as long as you have the time and they have the time, you know, that's another way to quell an objection is just to say, hey, we don't have to make the decision today. I can come back out or even let's say you don't really have or they don't really have the time for you to come back out, but they don't know what the decision is they want to make. We can do it like this, you know, face-to-face -face over video chat. We have the technology nowadays that we don't always have to go back out and visit. What are some of the other objections that you're hearing? Maybe something that's particular to current times right now, or just something that you frequently come across? There are a lot of times that clients are worried about costs, long-term costs, being able to plan supplements. You do get objections with the cost of supplements. You know, they're like, well, if I can get a plan, this plan for zero dollars, you know, why is the supplement? That just comes down to educating them on how each plan works. Another objection that you get a lot of times is I don't need a Part D plan. I don't need Part D. I don't take any medications. You know, obviously, that's a big red flag to any agent. You know, you probably don't need a Part D plan. However, let me tell you about what happens if you don't take one. And then you need one down the road. So, you know, you have to get into that Part D penalty and explain exactly how a Part D penalty works, about how much it's going to cost. Again, it's just about educating them so that they're making the right decision for them. Right. Is there another example that you can give us of an objection? So we have a nice set of three. <laughs> um, let's see. It's not really an objection, but what happens when somebody is in a Medicare supplement and it's gotten too expensive and they're looking to get cheaper and they can't underwrite into a new med sup because of an ailment? 
you do have a lot of objections in that form of, well, I'm not sure I want to go to a Medicare Advantage plan for my supplement. And again, that's going to be based on how healthy or unhealthy are they? Is it cheaper for them to stay in a Medicare supplement that's $300 a month? Probably not, but maybe depending on what that ailment is. In that case, then one of the things I always do, whether it's a new client or existing client, I generally, throughout my years with them, re-educate them on different products, no matter Mm -hmm. what they're in. I always give my opinion. My job is to kind of guide them into the right, you know, the product that I think is going to be the best fit for them. But, you know, it's never firm. It's always a very soft guidance. I would say 95% of people I meet with kind of go with my recommendations or, you know, which way I'm guiding them to. That's based on a couple of different things. You know, medications always play into it. Cost. Most people tell me their financial situation. I kind of know right off the bat if they can afford $150 or $200 or $300 a month. You know, obviously, if they're telling me, hey, I don't have two nickels to rub together, I'm not trying to put them in a plan that's 150 bucks a month, plus now I need a PDP. I'm showing them an Advantage plan first, explaining both, but still showing them the Advantage plan first, because I know that's kind of where, where they're going to lean. When we get switches, people who are switching from, we'll say people who've had supplements for a long period of time, that's probably where you get the people with the biggest objections. A lot of times, They had agents before me, you know, we're talking people who are in their late seventies, you know, that may have had agents before me and those agents weren't real big into Medicare Advantage. So they'd be like, oh, you never want to go to a Medicare Advantage. They're really, really bad. They might list reasons to them. They might not. But again, for me, it's all about educating them and what it actually is, how it works, giving them some ballpark figures as to how co-pays work and how co-insurances work and how max out-of-pockets work, deductibles, things of that nature, so that they can say, oh, well, maybe I will look at that a little further in detail, and then we can get into it. But I think when it comes to Medicare Advantage, whether it be Medicare Advantage to MedSup or MedSup to Medicare Advantage, I think the biggest takeaway is education of the client. The more your client knows the better that they will be able to make a decision on, you know, what's best for them. And and that's your ultimate goal. I don't think most clients are ever going to know more than we do, but you want them to understand. The more they understand, the less service calls you get. You know, if they understand what product they're in and how a copay works, you're not going to get those questions, those phone calls 50 times a month. Hey, I just got an MRI. How much is that going to be? Is this going to be covered? Well, yeah. Is it a medical necessity? Is your doctor telling you to get it? And yeah, it's covered. How it's covered, that might be a different phone call. But that's another reason I do so much with education of clients is the less they're on the phone with me, the more I can see other clients. So it's also about self-preservation. You know, I'm not getting 80 phone calls a week from Mary because I didn't explain the product and she doesn't understand it. So it's a twofold reason. Well, probably more than that. It probably is more Absolutely. than just that when it comes to education. One last question that I would like to ask you, what is your biggest piece of advice for agents this AEP? Be compliant. Know the rules. There's a lot of new rules coming into play, a lot of things coming into play. It's actually funny because that all plays back into education, educating your clients as well. If you know the rules, if you follow the rules and you educate your clients properly, nobody's ever going to be able to ding you. Follow the scope rules. It has to be 48 hours now. Just do it. We have all these ways you can do it via text message or email or mail or on the phone in some circumstances. Get your scopes. Make sure you're recording your phone calls. Make sure you're covering your bases. Hey, If you're recording your phone calls and you're educating your clients on Medicare itself, you're always going to be in compliance because, you know, you're doing what's required. Actually, you're probably going above and beyond. You know, that's always my biggest piece of advice is I know staying compliant can be hard and there's a lot of different rules and rule changes and you got to stay up on them. But as long as you're staying compliant, everything's going to work out right. And again, a big piece of that is educating your client. I think one of the number one things agents get dinged on is because they put their client into something that their client doesn't understand. So they end up calling Medicare and it becomes an issue. 
part of staying compliant is educating your people. And as long as you're doing that, I think you're going to go far. You're going to run along and make a lot of money. Next on our list, an episode that tackles one of the most frequent questions we get, both here on the podcast and at Ritter Insurance Marketing. How do I market my insurance business? We cover so much in this episode, I can't say I'm surprised that it was so popular. Number four, effective marketing strategies for insurance agents. It's never been easier to shout your message from the proverbial rooftop. You've got newspapers, radio, television, social media, and everything else on the internet. There's a lot of noise out there. The key is making sure your message rises above the noise and stands out. And we can help you learn how to do that. Before we get into knowing what to say and where to say it, we've got to establish some definitions. There are three main terms that people usually associate with getting a message out into the world. These terms are marketing, promotion, and branding. Fun fact, these terms are not synonymous, but two of them are subsets of the other. Both promotion and branding fall under the wider umbrella of marketing as do advertising, social media, and networking. I think the first idea we want to move away from in terms of marketing as an insurance agent is the idea of self-promotion. And it sounds good, don't get me wrong. It's when we take a deeper look that we realize, that's not how I want to be perceived. And that's because self-promotion defined is the action of promoting or publicizing oneself or one's activities, especially in a forceful way. Forceful is a vibe you do not want to have. But I include it here because if we take a trip to a used car lot or a furniture store and outsteps someone in a checkered suit that could double as upholstery, well, We've all got really strong feelings about that. No insurance agent wants to come across that way, no matter what product they sell. Rather, and this is a more recent development, I'd say alongside the rise of social media and influencer culture, rather than promoting, we want to start branding. And to drill down a little bit here, Personal branding is the practice of marketing yourself and your career as a brand. Not only is it a much more effective marketing strategy, develop it well, and it will be of long-lasting benefit to your business. Building a brand requires brainstorming, research, and planning to develop a strong vision. That vision then becomes embedded in your marketing strategy encompassing all of your communications and interactions. And the good news is, wherever your business is on the marketing spectrum, we've got a few tips to modernize your marketing plan. We'll start where all sound studies begin, and that is with research, a solid brainstorm session to really think about your brand. The process starts by taking a good look at yourself and your business. There are four basic truths you'll seek to understand about your business approach to the industry. Function, appeal, identity, and audience. We'll define your brand by answering a few questions about each truth. First up, function. What goods or services do you plan to provide? How do you plan to provide them? Second on the list, appeal. How is what you're doing different? What makes you unique? What is the appeal of using your services? Next up, identity. What will people associate with your brand? Will you use your name or your business name? What image will they associate with you? Will it be a logo or a photograph? And finally, our fourth truth, audience. How do you plan on connecting with people? Which platforms will you use? What materials will you need? 
Each of these considerations is important to building a successful branding strategy, and the process will take some time. How long depends on where you are on the marketing spectrum to begin with, and how in-depth you want to go with your plan. We recommend spending at least a minimum of two days on these steps, but for some, this process may take weeks or months. With the answers to those branding questions and the accompanying notes in hand, it's time to move into the digital realm and apply them. And I say the digital realm because to be the best marketer you can be, you've got to establish an online presence. We are doing just about everything online these days. At last count, in January 2023, over 311 million people in the United States actively used the internet, and 246 million of those people were actively using social media. When someone in your community searches for health insurance agent near me, you want your name to come up in the search engine result pages on Google. Give it another couple years and you're going to want it to show up as a response from every AI chatbot. That is how quickly technology is moving. But the point is, you want your clients to be able to find you when they need your services. You want them to connect with you and not your competition. That means you have to be where they're looking. The great thing about technology marching forward at a steady clip is that it's easier than ever to set up a website. Every website has a unique domain name, so you'll need to do a little more research to figure out what that should be. Take the time to brainstorm a few different names for your website, but keep it simple. While unusual spellings might look clever typed out in a search bar, they can fall flat when spoken out loud, and vice versa. Also important, make sure your business name doesn't violate any CMS rules. We will be linking to a lot of compliance resources in the notes, so take advantage of those links. To get your website up and running, you'll also need to decide who will host your page. Many hosting companies charge $10 per year to house your domain online, and you're responsible for everything else. Prices go up as you add features, such as additional storage, higher bandwidth, customization, and more. Price points and features will also vary between hosting companies. Agent Methods is a hosting company that specializes in the creation of websites for insurance agents and offers a few different plan options. We've had their founder and CEO here on the podcast, so if you're curious about their products, we will have the link to those episodes in the notes. Like any other product, it's important to shop around for the best deal and give yourself the time to do that research. Which additional features should you consider? Embedding a blog onto your site enables you to write about current events and offer insight. You can use it to build credibility and gain a solid online following. If you're thinking about hosting a blog, be sure to choose a platform that offers the option. If you sell Medicare plans, Ritter Insurance Marketing offers a great way to boost your sales and your website. A branded shop and enroll page can exist as one of many pages hosted on your site. Or if you're looking for something super simple, that same shop and enroll site can function as a low-maintenance website complete with your contact information. We'll have a link to a page where you can learn more about our shop and enroll program in the episode notes. Now, let's talk social media. Effective marketing requires a social media plan. And like any good plan, this one also starts with research. Before you sign up for anything, set aside the time to brainstorm. Consider a few different username options. Test for availability on all of the social networks you plan to use. 
Ideally, you want to be able to use the same name or handle, as they're sometimes called, across every social media platform. There's no shame in signing up for more sites than what you initially plan to use. It will ensure that your branding stays consistent, even if your marketing strategy changes a little further down the road. Do your homework and determine the demographics you want to target. For example, if you're selling Medicare products, that makes your math pretty simple. Still, because I am a completist at heart, Let's look at the most popular social media platforms and the key reasons why you should use them. Facebook lets you enhance your visibility and share content with 2.96 billion users worldwide. Whether you like the platform or not, log into your account frequently or not, most people have a Facebook account. On LinkedIn, you can position yourself as a thought leader among your professional peers. It's a great place to find agents like yourself, follow other thought leaders, meet potential affinity partners, and join groups to network and chat about specific industry topics. Twitter is a real-time discussion on many topics, especially breaking news, with 69% of users utilizing the platform to get their news. And when it comes to brands on Twitter, along the way, it morphed into a place for brands to conduct transparent customer service, so much so that 64% of Twitter users would rather tweet a brand than call them. Instagram started as a photo-sharing platform and has evolved to boast the highest level of brand engagement. 90% of the platform's 2 billion users follow a business on Instagram. Pinterest. 47% of U.S. adult women use this creative bulletin board, myself included. And finally, TikTok, which once upon a time I might not have included on the list, but the app's staggering growth over the past few years cannot be ignored. TikTok hit the 1 billion monthly active user mark in September of 2021. The largest demographic is the 18 to 24-year-old age group, so if you're looking for Gen Z, you will find them on TikTok. Rounding out the rest of the top 10 social media apps in the United States, there's also Facebook Messenger, iMessage, Snapchat, and Reddit, each with their own unique audience and value proposition for businesses. And then in addition to the top 10, there's also YouTube and Tumblr, newer apps like Vero, Discord, Be Real, Substack, and Lemonade. And we can't leave out the recent string of Twitter clones trying to replace the troubled app. Co-host, Post, Mastodon, Blue Sky, and the most recent untitled Twitter clone from Meta. With so many different social media platforms in existence today, it can be easy to get distracted by the new shiny things. There's a lot of opportunity there, but it's not the only opportunity. Don't forget about good old-fashioned networking. Digital marketing goes a long way, but here at Ritter, we cannot overstate the value of face-to-face interactions. That's why we recommend including traditional offline networking when formulating your marketing plan. And there are a lot of networking opportunities to choose from. Learning experiences like workshops, Seminars and trade shows are a great way to stay current on industry trends and meet like-minded individuals. Networking events such as mixers and open houses enable you to meet individuals in other industries who could use your product and connect you to potential clients. Mix the two of those opportunities together and you get our Ritter Summits. These annual conferences are tailored especially for agents selling Medicare Advantage and Part D plans. They feature exclusive carrier presentations, marketing tips, plan and product guidance, plus networking opportunities with carriers, Ritter staff, and other agents. 
Then in addition to learning and networking, there's also the art of the affinity partnership. Look for business opportunities with others who also serve your same demographic. Financial planners, other insurance agents, and local business owners are just a few examples of who you can partner with. Keep your local community in mind as well. There's a reason for the saying, it all starts in your own backyard. Never underestimate the power of service organizations, business associations, or your local chamber of commerce. These groups offer a way to connect with other professionals and keep your finger on the pulse of your community. As you're out and about, whether it's in your community or attending an event, you'll need a constant supply of marketing materials for potential clients and networking contacts. Business cards might be the first print product to come to mind, but there's also business reply cards that you order, mail out, and wait for the leads to return. For events and your affinity partners, you'll want brochures, table tents, and Slim Jims advertising your services. Don't forget about promotional tchotchkes either. My favorite will always be the jar opener, but it could be a pen, magnet, water bottle, stress ball, chapstick, or any other small item customized with your logo. Here at Ritter, we have an online store where our active agents can order all of the marketing materials I just mentioned. ShopRitterIM is the place to order materials that allow you to easily, affordably, and compliantly market your business. We run these materials through our compliance team. They're CMS approved, so you can use them, send them out, generate leads, market your business without the stress of wondering if your content is compliant. And another quick thing I'd like to mention here is that we often have promo codes for ShopRitterIM. So keep following along with the podcast and keep listening for more info on those offers and incentives. Moving right along to the next type of marketing strategy that insurance agents should be taking advantage of, retention through content marketing. We mentioned lead mailers earlier as a means to getting new clients. Once you've got those new clients, you want to keep them. And this is financially sound advice. For one, there's the renewals you'll get on the policies that you've written for them. Two, there's the potential for referrals of family and friends when you've served them well. And then three, It does cost about five times more to acquire a client versus retaining a client. Retention efforts have transformed as technology has evolved. In addition to the phone calls to check in and the birthday cards or anniversary cards sent in the mail, we've added digital efforts to keep your name and business top of your clients' minds. First up, the newsletter. Most of us are subscribed to at least one, if not more, and that's because newsletters are an effective way to stay connected. Here at Ritter, we send out our own newsletters to keep agents updated on what's going on in our industry. You can take a page from our book, or should I say newsletter, and create one of your own. All you need is an email list and an email marketing service like MailChimp, Active Campaign, Benchmark, IBM Watson, GetResponse, or Substack, to name a few. The idea is to fill up those newsletters with mostly educational, fun, and useful content, then sprinkle in promotional material lightly. Many times in our Friday Five episodes here on the podcast, we will highlight media that would make a great addition to client newsletters. Sometimes it's related to health. Other times, it's the most recent menu features from Starbucks. How often you send out these newsletters is really up to you. It could be monthly, bi-weekly, or so on. And before you say, well, that sounds like a lot of time and effort, you're not wrong. Marketing is a full-time job. But this is also an area that's seen some innovation. 
you can now outsource content marketing and retention efforts in a newsletter or on social media with services from companies like Reminder Media, who we've also featured here on the podcast. We'll be linking to their episode in the notes as well. Reminder Media specializes in content marketing solutions, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention their personalized lifestyle, home, and health magazines here, too. It's basically the same concept as a digital newsletter with content people actually want to read about, sprinkled with a few tidbits of promotional material in magazine form. And it's a quality, premium, glossy magazine. They're pretty sharp looking. And as I mentioned, there are a lot of different ways to customize these magazines. When your client receives it in the mail, they don't see it as a promotional effort. It comes across as a gift because of the thoughtful, curated content inside. Really cool thing about Reminder Media, we partner with them. So think of them as one of our affinity partners, and they generously have set up a discount for Ritter agents signing up for Reminder Media services. We will have the link to the page where our agents can get that deal in the notes. The last thing I want to say about content marketing is that you can use your social media accounts similarly to the newsletter and magazine options I just mentioned. Post content that's relevant to your clients, articles you find interesting, uplifting content, nothing about politics or hot button issues, but local news, and then sprinkle in, again, just a little bit about your services. The last part of marketing I want to touch on here today, advertising. Spending money to make money, well, it's hardly a secret strategy. Don't forget to budget for the times when your message needs a little more reach than what you're capable of on your own. It's great to be able to blast things out on social media and let word of mouth do the work. But realistically, sometimes that's just not enough reach. Are you moving to a new location or making another significant change? Advertising is a great way to convey information to a large but specific demographic of potential future clients. Formats can include digital, print, television, and radio advertising. Regardless of the format, your messaging should be clear, give people a way to contact you, and contain one call to action. Before I can end this episode, we cannot talk about marketing without also mentioning the importance of compliance. Everything you communicate must comply with standards set forth by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Everything on social media, in your newsletters, emails, marketing materials, tchotchkes, everything that can be regulated by CMS must adhere to the rules outlined in the Medicare Communication and Marketing Guidelines, the Medicare Advantage and Part D Communication Requirements, the Final Rule, and any other memos CMS puts out on the subject. One thing we always advise when it comes to marketing for insurance agents, remember not to broadcast carriers or specific plans as both of those are considered sensitive information. Market yourself and your services, not the products that are in your portfolio. With that, it is time for you to go forth and start on your marketing strategy. As you're working on your strategy, Planning, research, and honesty will go a long way in developing your successful marketing plan. Add in your own experience, knowledge, and personality for a truly authentic touch. You can rely on our team here at Ritter and the Agent Survival Guide to keep you updated with the latest innovations in marketing as our industry grows and changes. Education is a huge pillar of our podcast. Whether we're talking about marketing strategies like in the last episode or drilling down to talk about the specifics of a product, 
We are big fans of taking a product, defining it, comparing it to other similar products, and in the case of our next episode, highlighting why your clients would choose one over the other. Here's number three, annuities versus 401ks, examining differences that can matter to clients, written by Emily Markovic. It's important for everyone to plan for retirement, no matter their age. Professionals in the insurance world, like yourself, know this all too well. You may also be familiar with some of the ways to secure funds for retirement, namely 401ks and annuities. On the surface, these methods of investment may seem quite similar, and in some respects, they are. However, there are reasons why you might recommend one over the other. We examine the differences between these options and consider how you can help your clients make the most of their investments. First off, let's answer the burning question. What is an annuity? Annuities are an investment product purchased from an insurance company. There are different kinds of annuities to choose from. The most notable types of annuities being variable, fixed, and indexed. When an annuity is purchased, the policyholder makes premium payments to the insurance company. And then what happens with that money depends on whether the annuity is fixed or variable. During the accumulation period for a fixed annuity, the premiums paid by the insured earn a rate of interest set by the insurance company. For variable annuities, the insurance company puts the insured's premium payments minus any fees into a separate account. Then, the insured decides how the insurance company invests those premiums depending on the level of risk desired. Starting immediately after the purchase of an annuity or at a future date, The policyholder's money is paid back to them in addition to any interest or investment income gains. People typically between the ages of 45 and 75 buy this product to help manage their income during retirement since they will no longer receive a salary. In addition to providing either a guaranteed lump sum or series of payments, Annuities offer tax-deferred growth and death benefits. Next question, what exactly is a 401k? In contrast, a 401k plan is a retirement savings option offered by some employers. Employees can choose to contribute a designated percentage of their wages to their 401k each pay. In many cases, the employer will also match a portion or all of the employee's investment. These plans are designed to grow steadily over time, with the money being invested in a selection of index, mutual, or exchange-traded funds. Additionally, the investment earnings are tax-deferred and only taxed once money is withdrawn. And a quick note that I want to add here, an alternative type of 401k, a Roth 401k, differs from a traditional 401k in that it's funded with after-tax money and not taxed when withdrawn at retirement age. Now that we've got working definitions of both types of investment products, Let's talk about how annuities and 401ks are different investments. Even though both annuities and 401ks can provide tax-deferred income during retirement and earn income through investments, each have unique characteristics that can make them the right or wrong fit from person to person. These are some of the differences your clients might be most interested to know about. Difference number one, guaranteed payments. Many annuities can provide payments for the rest of a person's lifetime, and some can even continue to pay beneficiaries after the insured has passed away. Also, many annuity types are not subject to losses in the market 
because the income is guaranteed by the contract with the insurance provider. The exceptions to potential market loss are indexed and variable annuities, since both pay a rate of interest based on the performance of specific market index or mutual funds. However, indexed annuities do still offer a guaranteed minimum interest payment. On the other hand, 401ks typically have no guarantee of lifetime withdrawal options. Additionally, because they are made up of different financial products, such as stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and money market funds, the income is impacted by fluctuations within the market, resulting in both possible returns and losses. Difference number two, contribution limits. There is no limit to the amount of money someone can put into an annuity but there are annual 401k contribution limits. For 2023, the individual limit is $22,500, or $30,000 for those 50 and older. The combined employer and employee contribution limit for 2023 is $66,000, or $73,500 for those 50 or older. On the bright side, these annual limits are relatively high, especially for those nearing retirement sooner. But for clients who are looking to invest more, this is an important difference to note. The amount an individual invests in an annuity depends on the type selected and their specific investment goals. A flexible deferred annuity can be purchased for as little as $500 to $1,000 with continued premium payments. Typically, a fixed annuity can be purchased for an initial investment of $2,500 or more. Difference number three, employer contributions. Employers can choose to match a portion of their employees' 401k contributions. Unfortunately, this is not the case for annuities. The money someone pays for an annuity is all from their own pocket. This detail is definitely a perk of having a 401k. Another employer-based benefit of a 401k, profit sharing. This is a pre-tax contribution employers can deposit into their employees' retirement accounts. As an end-of-the-year bonus, it's possible that a profit-sharing contribution can be worth more to employees than a similarly-sized direct bonus payment. Since these contributions are tax-deductible for employers, it's a win-win advantage for both parties. Now, what about recommendations for your clients? When should you recommend an annuity or a 401k plan? The decision to recommend an annuity or 401k will come down to each client's specific investment goals. If your client is looking to work longer and wants to steadily grow money for retirement over time, then a 401k will most likely be the right fit for them. But if a client wants to retire relatively soon and has savings they can comfortably invest into a guaranteed income stream or lump sum, an annuity will likely nicely meet their needs. It's important to get to know your clients and ask them questions about their finances and their goals. Doing so will put you in the right direction to present a product or a group of products that can help them live their lives to the fullest. And one last thing I want to be sure to mention, people can invest in both an annuity and a 401k. A combination of these products can be the best of both worlds for some clients. Logically, you may want clients to choose an annuity because it comes with a commission for you. But as always, it's imperative to educate your clients on all of their options. Doing so will leave you with happy clients and a big book of business to show for it. 
Moving right along, the number two episode is one that I recommend to agents who are interested in the industry, but maybe not so sure that they want to make the full jump into a new career. Here's Four Perks of Being a Part-Time Insurance Agent, written by Lauren Hayden. If diving headfirst into a new profession isn't quite your style, we understand. New beginnings can be a little scary, but they can also be exciting and full of opportunity. Maybe you're thinking of entering the insurance industry full-time, but don't want to jump in full swing. Or maybe you have some extra time and skills you'd like to use towards something new on the side. Either way, we've got you covered. Consider the benefits of being a part-time insurance agent. Let's get started with number one. Explore the industry. One huge perk of becoming an insurance agent part-time is you can see if this job is a good fit for you with minimal risk. You may end up saying, nope, not for me. And if so, no harm, no foul. Many career paths don't offer a part-time option, but lucky for you, the insurance industry encourages it. By selling insurance part-time, you can learn which carriers and products you prefer to sell and begin developing lasting relationships with clients. If you have friends or family members who need Medicare plans, helping them get coverage would be a great place to start. Selling to someone you're already comfortable around may help to prepare you for future meetings with other clients. Here's the second perk. You can keep your day job. Another great advantage of selling insurance part-time is that you don't have to quit your day job. Essentially, you can make your own schedule and work around your other commitments. In fact, you may even find that many clients prefer having appointments in the evening or on weekends, leaving your weekday 9 to 5 job unaffected. If you choose to keep your old job, we'd recommend picking a few days or times during the week to devote to your insurance business. You don't want your clients to get upset with you if you can't take their call due to being at your other job. Pro tip, let clients know when you will be available to help them to avoid potential frustrations. You can have weekly availability hours, sort of like office hours, where you're available to take their calls or meet with them. You can post these hours on your website, social media, and if you have a weekly newsletter you send to clients, that's a great place too. Moving on to number three, earn supplemental income. Looking to make some extra cash on the side? Now is the perfect time to start selling insurance. While we would never recommend going into any profession solely for the money, It's not a bad thing to want to support yourself and your loved ones. There's nothing wrong with earning something a little extra on top of your primary income. As long as you're in it for the right reasons, you should be able to find success and enjoyment selling insurance. When selling insurance, the majority of your earnings will come from commissions. What does that mean for you? Well, it's your call how much time and energy you want to invest in insurance sales and how much money you want to make. Leading us to number four, our favorite, feel empowered. Being a part-time insurance agent doesn't mean you have to go it alone. Even if you become an independent agent, which we would recommend over being a captive one, And if you would like more information about the difference between captive and independent agents, check out the episode notes for resources and definitions. There are also several types of professional organizations that can assist you every step of the way. Luckily, you don't need to be a full-time agent to work with a field marketing organization. We suggest partnering with a top FMO like ours, Ritter Insurance Marketing, 
To learn how to get appointed with health insurance companies and get set on the path to success. Even as a part-time agent, you'll have access to all of Ritter's tools, resources, and webinars. Ritter's support and technology can assist you in many facets of your career and help to shape you into a highly motivated, well-rounded agent. Working as a part-time agent allows you to really hone in on the kinds of plans your clients want and what you should offer. Be sure to gain as much as you can from this experimental period. You may find you like it so much that you want to make insurance a full-time gig. Whichever path you end up choosing, you can succeed if you put your best foot forward. Alongside questions about the insurance industry, we also frequently find ourselves answering the question, what exactly is an FMO? That's why in most episodes, you will hear us define FMO as being short for Field Marketing Organization. And that's what Ritter Insurance Marketing is, a national field marketing organization. There are a few different types of organizations that are helpful to insurance agents. So it's fitting that our number one episode is all about explaining the differences between those organizations and what agents should be looking for as they're choosing which one to partner with. Our number one episode of 2023, FMO versus IMO versus NMO versus MGA versus GA. What's the difference? Written by Roxanne Anderson. The amount of acronyms in the insurance industry is astounding. We joke a lot about alphabet soup, but in all seriousness, What these abbreviations stand for and mean is usually pretty straightforward. Like, for instance, AEP stands for Annual Enrollment Period, when people can update Medicare plans each year. But this isn't always the case. Specifically, agents may hear and know what FMO, IMO, NMO, MGA, and GA stand for, but not know what they actually mean in regard to the business. The five acronyms I just mentioned all relate to different insurance marketing organizations or individuals that independent insurance agents can partner with to do business. Unfortunately for new agents, there aren't really set industry standards that establish what an insurance marketing organization is called. That lack of clarification can make trying to grasp what sets each one apart from the next pretty challenging. We want to do our best to provide a resource that rectifies this confusion, hence this episode. So generally speaking, how do FMOs, IMOs, NMOs, MGAs, and GAs differ from each other? I am so glad that you asked. We will start with discussing the one that applies to us here at Ritter Insurance Marketing, and that is an FMO, short for Field Marketing Organization. An FMO is basically the same as an independent marketing organization or IMO. Field marketing organizations are typically top-level organizations that are licensed to sell health insurance products in most, if not all, states. They work with hundreds to thousands of agents and multiple big-name and small-name carriers all across the United States. Almost all of an FMO's contracts are direct with carriers, and FMO's are usually able to offer agents contracts that provide higher-than-street-level commissions. In general, FMO's also offer agents a lot of other perks they can't get elsewhere. For example, Ritter Insurance Marketing, the company behind the Agent Survival Guide and this podcast, is a national senior market FMO. Organizations like ours offer independent agents training and support through our content materials, like our blog, this podcast. We also offer help with tough cases. We offer quote engines and other tools. We want to help agents have a better experience starting out in the industry, and then we want to continue those relationships and help agents grow their businesses beyond their expectations. 
You can learn more about what makes Ritter Insurance Marketing a fantastic FMO in many of our previous episodes, and we will be sure to link to all of them in our show notes. If you really want to get an inside look at all of our state-of-the-art tools and our carrier and product offerings, we recommend registering with our site at ritterim.com. It is free, it's easy to do that, and we will put that link in our show notes. Now, back to field marketing organizations. While FMOs focus on health insurance products, they may also offer contracting for life insurance products or other types of ancillary insurance coverage. Agents who work with an FMO may have production requirements they have to meet to maintain their commission levels. It's also worth noting that agents who partner with an FMO and later wish to leave the organization will have to get a release from the FMO. If you're on the fence when it comes to joining a field marketing organization, as I mentioned earlier, be sure to check out the show notes for episodes that will tell you more. There's a good chance you'll find the answers to your questions in one of those episodes. Now, let's move on to the IMO, or Independent Marketing Organization. An independent marketing organization is basically the same as an FMO. Some agents believe FMOs tend to focus more on health insurance products, while IMOs tend to focus on life insurance products, but this isn't always the case. IMOs are sometimes a little smaller than FMOs and may not be able to pay agents as much in commission as some FMOs. Like field marketing organizations, independent marketing organizations tend to be licensed to sell multiple carrier products in multiple states. They work with hundreds to thousands of agents and also usually offer those agents valuable training and support. Next on our list, the NMO, short for National Marketing Office. When it comes to National Marketing Offices, or NMOs, think of them as a category that FMOs and IMOs fall under if they are national. FMOs and IMOs can both be this type of organization. In fact, you may hear a field marketing organization or independent marketing organization call themselves a national marketing office. There's really nothing that sets NMOs apart from FMOs or IMOs. It's just more of a neutral term for FMOs and IMOs who do business across the United States or for those who may sell both health and life insurance products. That brings us to managing general agents, more commonly referred to as MGA. Managing general agents may partner with FMOs, IMOs, or NMOs, though typically as a downline of those top of hierarchy organizations. They also have their own downline agents who they help with their businesses. MGAs earn more commission than a general agent, but less than an FMO, IMO, or NMO. They oftentimes have to reach and maintain certain production requirements to keep their status as an MGA. These requirements can vary from one FMO, IMO, or NMO to another, and even from one carrier to another. The MGA term is more widely recognized with life agencies. And to add to the alphabet soup that we're already several spoonfuls into, some MGAs may call themselves brokerage general agencies, or BGAs, which is also a common term on the life insurance side of business. Sometimes MGA or BGA can be a top-level contract. In fact, the MGA or BGA contract is the top contract offered by life insurance carriers. Good MGAs and BGAs will provide their downline agents training and support, even as much as an FMO, IMO, or NMO. That brings us to the last acronym on our list, GA. And no, that does not stand for Georgia here. It stands for General Agents. General agents may contract under an FMO, IMO, NMO, or MGA. This contract typically allows them to have their own sub-agents and likely has production requirements that the agent needs to meet to maintain their status as a GA. 
Like good MGAs, good GAs will provide their agents with some training and support, but likely not on the same level as an FMO, IMO, or NMO. And again, this is simply because they don't have as many resources as the larger organizations like time, money, staff members, and the like. While the line between some of the different types of insurance marketing organizations out there may still be a bit blurry, there is a reason for that, and we mentioned it at the beginning of this episode. There aren't really any set standards for categorizing these marketing organizations. That said, if you haven't noticed, there is definitely a hierarchy to the different marketing organizations and entities out there. This hierarchy tends to go from the top down, FMO, IMO, NMO, MGA, BGA, GA, and then writing agents. Now, of course, there may be more sublevels, but these are the general categories, so you get the gist. And for the most part, the higher up this ladder you go, the more commissions you tend to get. But definitely don't discount the smaller organizations for that reason alone. When it comes down to it, picking a marketing organization to partner with should be like picking the bank you do business with. You want someone who you like and who you trust, someone who can do their part that's needed for both of you to succeed, and someone who you enjoy working with. The rest doesn't really matter so much as far as we're concerned. And if you would like more information on partnering with us here at Ritter Insurance Marketing, an FMO that is also an NMO, we would love to get started working with you. We will have a link to register with Ritter in our show notes. Just click on that, fill out the information, submit it, and that is all you need to do to get started. It takes about a minute. And if you want to learn more about us before you do that, that's cool too. We will have a bunch of resources in our show notes for you to check out as well. And really, what better day is there to get started than today? That brings us to the end of our list. But thankfully, it is not the end of our content library. We've got a pretty extensive archive of episodes that you can go back and listen to if you're new to the Agent Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you heard here today, please follow along with us so you don't miss out on what we've got planned for 2024. And for those of you who are already following along with the show, thank you so much for doing that. We really appreciate your support. Keep listening for more episodes, interviews, and Friday Five lists like this one. I hope you have a great weekend. Stay healthy and stay safe out there. And we will see you next week. The Agent Survival Guide podcast is a production of Ritter Insurance Marketing, an integrity company. Featured episodes were written by myself, Emily Markovic, Lauren Hayden, and Roxanne Anderson. Special thanks to Dan Ford for the interview. Script proofing by Tina Lamaru. Recording and production by me, Sarah Rupel. Podcast design by Urban Rivera. Artwork by Vivian Zhao.